Um, and I know, and we are, I say that in jest, but I am, you know, it's been six months is, is quite a long time and I'm getting tired a little bit, but um, I know that Jeff is coming and, I, and I'm praying that, that you guys will accept him and work with him as the person that you believe God has called to this place. Love on him. Love on him. Because uh, he's taken a huge step, and I know what that's like. He's taken a huge step in coming all the way across Canada, um, leaving his friends, leaving his church that he's in at the moment. He's going to need love and support for quite some time um, to, to be able to settle into this interesting town of Nelson. So, God bless you. So we're going to look at the, I'm going to try, this is going to be a bit of a challenge for us all this morning. I'm going to try and cover two chapters of Revelation um, today because I want to finish on um, chapter 7 next week. So we're going to read chapters 5 and 6 this morning. We're going to look at the next two um, conditions for living in the new covenant. Last week we covered the first one. And the first one was the new covenant church is seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Jesus, and the second one is Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, and the third is when we embrace that, we embrace Jesus, when we embrace God's grace, everything of bondage is removed. They're the next two. So let's start at chapter uh, 5, verse 1. When I saw the scroll on the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne, there was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. <clears throat> then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw the lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings. And amongst the 24 elders, he had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. He stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And he took the scroll, and when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and, the living, and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang with a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. 
chapter 6, verse 1. As I watched the Lamb break the first of the seven seals on the scroll, then I, I heard one of the four living beings say with a voice like thunder, Come. I looked up and saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow, and a crown was placed on his head. He rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. When the lamb broke the second seal, I heard the second living being say, Come. Then another horse appeared, a red one. Its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And when the lamb broke the third seal, I heard the third living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a black horse, and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings say, A loaf of wheat or three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay, and don't waste the olive oil and wine. When the lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the fourth living being say, Come. I looked up and saw a horse whose color was pale green. Its rider was named Death, and its companion was the grave. Those two were given authority over one-fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and disease and wild animals. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of all who had been martyred for the word of God and for being faithful in their testimony. They shouted to the Lord and said, O Sovereign Lord, Holy One and True, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then the white robe was given to each of them. And they were told to eat, sorry, they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred, had joined them. I watched as the lamb broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake. The sun became as dark as black cloth, and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell onto the earth like green figs, falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. The sky was rolled up like a scroll, and all the mountains and the islands were moved from their places. Then everyone, the kings of earth, the rulers and the generals of the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in caves among the rocks and the mountains. And they cried to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath, the wrath has come, and who is able to survive. <clears throat> wow. There is so much in this, and I'm, I'm going to try and pick out just some bits and pieces from it. Um, as I said last week, the, the four chapters that we're looking at over this three-week period um, contain four conditions of the new living in the new covenant. And that's why I wanted to finish with number seven, with chapter 7 next week. <clears throat> so John begins this chapter with a vision of the scroll and the seven seals. There's an author called Theodore Zahn, um, and according to him, the churches at the time would have recognized that a scroll, or biblion is the Greek word that's used in this, in this passage, sealed with seven seals would represent a testament. It would represent a testament, and when the testator, i.e. the person that wrote the testament, died, the, seal, the seals would then be broken, or the, the, the scroll would be broken, the seals would be opened in the presence of the seven witnesses that sealed the testament. So when we come to John's vision, and when they called out, 
and nobody answered them, Jesus was the one that opened the seals. And what I see here is the new covenant coming forth into presence. In other words, it's the beginning of the new covenant. It's the opening. The testament was the opening of the new covenant. And Jesus, as the Lamb, was the only one able to open it. Jesus being, therefore, the faithful witness of the new covenant. Now, it's interesting to note that this testament was written on both the inside and the out. Now, I look at some of these things and I wonder, why did they write these things? Why is it important that the, the scroll is written on the inside and the out. What is the point of that? And interesting enough, if you look at the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were both written on the both sides of the tablet. So I, think, I believe what's happening here is that the new covenant is coming in to replace the old. Jesus said he was the fulfillment of the old covenant. The fact that it's written on both sides is linking back to the Ten Commandments as they were given in Exodus. This testament that John was seeing was a bringing of the transfer from the old covenant to the new covenant. Jesus was bringing the new, bringing the transfer. He was transferring from the old to the new. And only this testament would bring about the judgment on those still insisting on living in the old. It was going to bring a judgment on apostate Israel living in the first century. Remember, we said right at the beginning, revelation should be seen as what was, what is, and is to come. It's not some future thing that we're waiting on, I believe. That's my personal belief. You may not agree with that. I believe a lot of what has happened in, in Revelation, as we've read it, has already happened, has already taken place. But it's also ongoing. So the judgment on the apostate Israelite, those who are still living under the law, is continuing. But it's also happened. And I, as I said many times, I believe it's happened during the time leading up to and the destruction of Israel in AD 70. Jesus is seen as the lamb, the one with authority which the horns represent and the ability which the eyes represent to open the seals and bring about the new covenant. He's the only one that is able to do it. He's the only one with that authority and ability. The reason he's seen both amongst the living creatures and the throne is because God is, sorry, Jesus is fully human as well as being fully God. See, we often see Jesus as being fully God, but we forget about his humanity. His humanity is vitally important to the role that he played. He's seen as fully man and fully God. He holds the authority to bring the power of the sevenfold spirit of God to bring about transformation in the lives of those that will accept him. He is the only one that is able to do that. He is the only one that is able to bring about that power to transform our lives, to bring about the transfer from the old covenant to the new covenant. The harps that were given to the elders and living creatures, they testify to the prophetic power of praise and praise, the gift of ministry that was given to King David in Chronicles, 1 Chronicles 25, 3. And there are also several references to that in Psalms, in the book of Psalms. 
It's the sound of a new holy season, a declaration in the earth <coughs> as the season of grace is announced. The bowls of incense represent intercession, that all believers in the new covenant have this priestly ministry of prayer and intercession. So as the new covenant is heralded in, as the new covenant replaces the old, as the new covenant is, is brought in and transferred from the old into the new, as Jesus brings that transfer, we see him as the only power and authority to be able to do this. He is the only one. This is talking about Jesus and transfer, the transfer from the old covenant into the new When we embrace, and, and this brings me to the next part of this, when we embrace this, when we embrace God's grace that has been brought forward in this transfer, everything of bondage is broken. The chains are broken free. We're set free through his grace, through his grace and his power. The bondage of the law is eradicated by the power of God's grace working in our lives. So now we get to the seals. <clears throat> As the seals are opened, the old covenant passes away. And judgment of those who rejected Jesus and rejected faith for their own form of godliness comes. When the seals are begun to be opened, the living creatures cry, come and see. But interestingly, they only do it four times. Why do they only do it four times? Why is it they don't do it every time a seal is opened? A seal is opened. Again, my personal opinion here is that this represents once again the four corners of the earth that we talked about. That was like a sign of the the Pope. Sorry, it's my inner voice. <laughs> Quiet. Keep it under control. It's the four corners of the earth. The north, the south, the east, and the west. In other words, it's the entire earth. That is why it's only four times. These living creatures, remember we talked about it last time, represent the four corners of the earth. They represent the entirety of the people of earth. Again, I believe the judgment is talked about here in this chapter was taking place at the time. And the fulfillment of this then puts in motion the reality and application for future and for all time. The judgment of Jesus. For every seal that is opened, there is a prophetic sound released from heaven. And a heavenly action poured out on the earth. The Greek word that is used for come see here is erkomai. Now, it's a primary verb in the perfect and the imperfect tenses. Now, for us non-Greek scholars here, I just read that. When I, I, I'm not a Greek scholar, never, never have been, never will be. There's lots of people that have done that way better than I can ever do. But this Greek word is important. Erkomai, it basically means that it is an action that has happened. It will continue to happen. But it's not something in the future. It's a continuation it's a continuation. It's something that is happening at the time and will continue to happen in the future. That's why I believe that this 
whole thing is talking about the, the tribulation that the Jews went through. Because remember, we looked at it before, that when they were talking about the tribulation, they were talking to God's people only. They weren't talking to the earth. They were talking to God's people. God's people, Israel, went through trials and tribulation leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. So let's go into chapter 6. I hope you're sticking with me here. I know I, I kind of know it's a lot to take in, but uh, we'll get there. Don't worry. You always worry when a Scotsman tells you not to worry. By the way, you've got a couple of hours. You're not you're not getting anything pressing on later on today, have you? So let's look at the first of the four horsemen. They are a symbolic representation of the wars, famines, pestilence, and the earthquakes that Jesus declared would be the beginning of sorrows in the desolation of Jerusalem. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. On the first horse, Jesus is seen on the white horse of righteousness, the one who is faithful and true. Jesus is faithful to his promises. Jesus is true to his word. Jesus is the one that cleanses us. His righteousness that was poured out on the cross cleanses us. His righteousness makes us right before God. He is the one that is seen on the first horse. The first horse is white. Cleanliness. Faithful. True. At the opening of the second seal, the next horse that we see is a red horse. It's released to take peace from the earth. Death has come to those who seek the life of flesh and yet call themselves the covenant land of God. Those who embrace a fear-based works covenant and reject the faith covenant towards God. Where there is life in the spirit, there is power over life of the flesh or us, our body. And in this life, I'm sorry, and this life must be removed to enable to embrace the life of the Holy Spirit. The third horse is a black horse, and the rider is carrying a set of scales. This witness to the loss of testimony of light in Christ, as in Christ. It speaks to economic hardship. It reveals the loss of heavenly provision, our daily bread, which is neither wheat nor corn. Or, sorry, our daily bread, which is neither wheat or, yeah, it's corn, I think it was, wasn't it? Um, oats, maybe. In the, that bit in the passage that we read. I got my words a bit wrong here. But it's the living words of Christ. You see, we often have this tendency, and we do still to have this tendency, to depend on worldly things, to depend on the things of this world. Whereas our dependence should be on God. Our, our, our daily word should be listening to the words of Christ in our lives. Our daily feeding should be feeding from his word, feeding from his words in our life, the words of the power to transform our lives. But we so often depend on this world and the things of this world. And those who dependence is on the ways of the world are deprived from the abundance of God's provision from heaven. When we depend on the things of the world, things will go wrong for us. When we depend on Jesus, nothing goes wrong because his promises, he is faithful. They are faithful to us. His promises are faithful and true. How many times in my life have I asked the question, Lord, what's going on? 
because our worldly stuff has been taken away. Our things that we gather up around us and feel safe in have suddenly been taken away or, or they've started to diminish and we're kind of crying out to God and we're saying, what's going on, what's going on, what's going on? And God's saying, trust me. Trust me. I'm your daily provision. I'm the one who gives you your daily bread. Like he did in the, in the wilderness when the Israelites were receiving manna from heaven. Our manna from heaven today is the words of Christ to our life. His living word. The fourth and final horse is a pale horse. And it carries death and Hades. Now death is not an annihilation. But it's rather a, a separation from the living God. It's not an annihilation of life. It's a separation from the living God. Hades, as we know it, is the opposite realm to the realm of life. It's the realm of the dead. Again, in Matthew and Luke, Jesus said that this judgment would come upon the generation of his day. Of his day. And I believe again that that was the lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. You know, we can often choose a form of godliness. And this is what happened to the Israelite people. They chose this form of godliness that depended on works and depended on doing things without the Spirit of God. And I'm going to make a, an interesting, strange statement you might think here just now. I don't think we should be teaching our children what to do and what not to do, but rather we should be introducing them to Jesus. You see, because teaching them what not to do and what to do, we're teaching them in old covenant terms. We're teaching them a works-based faith. We should be introducing them to Jesus. And it doesn't mean to say that we go then and do, we can go then and do whatever we like because grace abounds. I mean, Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. Because grace is all sufficient, we can then go and lead our lives as we want. That's not what happens. But if we introduce them to Jesus, what happens is the law becomes, if you like to look at the law, it becomes inside of us. Because we can't help doing these things. Because the living God is living inside us. So it's not that we suddenly say we abandon all these good things that we've taught our children. But if we introduce them to Jesus, these good things rise up inside them because they're living in the Spirit of God. So they do good because of the power of the Spirit of God living in us. Rather than us telling them what to do, how to do it. That may be a little bit controversial here, but in the end of the day, the most important thing that we can do to our children and to our fellow beings is introduce them to the power-transforming life of Jesus. And then the Spirit of God will transform their lives. The Spirit of God will transform their lives to the place that Jesus wanted them to be in the first place. You know, it's easy to tell our children or tell others what not to do and how to do, how to lead their lives. 
but then it becomes a fear-based works. Because the children then know that, and I, I know I, I'm, I've been, I've done this. This is how I brought up my children. This is, but the children then know that what happens is when they do what you told them not to do, their fear is that they're going to get punished, correct? It's a fear-based works and we take that into our congregations, we take that into our churches, where we try and get people to believe, behave in a certain way. We're trying to make them good people. We've talked about this before. Instead of taking them and introducing them to Jesus and letting his transforming power come in their lives, we try and make them good people. We can't do that. And the fear is that if they don't become the sort of people that we want them to be, then they're rejected. We're rejected. If they maybe have, you know, things in your life that don't necessarily agree with where you're at, because you want them to be like you. I often thought, you know, I, held, I, I used to hold high standards for Christian people. And that was me judging them. Because I thought I had my life all tied up, all sewn up. I thought I had all the right things. I thought I was doing all these things. So when I looked at other Christian people, when they fell, I, high, I held them in high standards. I've come to learn now that for every finger I point at other people, there's a hundred pointing back at me. And God's grace is big enough for every one of them. See, what is going on here is the judgment of those people that had brought this form of godliness that wasn't spirit-based. It was the old covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the old covenant. We now live in the realms of the new covenant. The judgment here was those people that were being judged through works, and they were putting that on other people. You remember all the stories, the Pharisees and the, when G, in Jesus' time when, he was, when they were always judging those people. I love some of the stories that are in, in, the, in the New Testament. One of, some of my favorites would be, one of them would be the, the adulteress that had been caught in adultery. And the, and the reaction of the Pharisees and the Jewish people were to stone them were to stone her because that was what the law said. It was a fear-based, works-based faith, a form of godliness without the Spirit of God. And Jesus held out, her, held out his hand. And he said, anyone who has no sin in their lives, then you throw the first stone. And gradually they all walked away. Now he did say, go sin no more. Of course he did. But it wasn't through her works. It was through his spirit. Another favorite story of mine is the woman at the well. That was such a no-no in those times. A Jewish rabbi sitting with a Samaritan woman on his own, talking to her. 
He knew her life story. He didn't judge her. He told her the truth. He introduced her to him. The best thing that we can do for our children and our fellow peers and our fellow people is introduce them to Jesus Christ. Let's stop telling them what is right and wrong. Let's stop teaching them what not to do and what to do. Sorry, parents, <laughs> especially those with children sitting next to them. <laughs> but let's introduce them to Jesus. Let's introduce them to the power, transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And let Jesus transform their lives. The opening of the sixth seal then brought about the end of the old and the beginning of the new. The earthly kings, the wealthy, the powerful, all those that had built up all this stuff around them, those who depended upon this false sense of godliness were hiding in the caves, hiding in the caves from the one who brought judgment. The rolling up of all this stuff that we see, the picture of that rolling up is the finalization of the old covenant. It's the rolling it up and putting aside to introduce and to bring in the new. It's something that's happened. It's not something that's going to happen in the future. It's already been done. This was, in, an es in essence, a decreation of the old Adam. It was a deforming of the old Adam and the recreation of the new as in Christ. The old covenant was being rolled up to make room for the new. That was quite a whiz through chapters 5 and 6. There's an awful lot more detail I could have gone into. But what I want to bring out today is, first of all, this is, I believe, as I've said many times in about events that took place during the run-up to the destruction and the destruction of Jerusalem. You see, I often talk to people who are waiting for this cataclysmic event, and you know them. Come on. How many times have we seen in the news and the reports of how many times people have tried to predict when Jesus is coming back and all this stuff's going to happen? We're still waiting. But why are we waiting? We are supposed to be living in the new covenant and the heavenly realms today. We have been transferred from where? The kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We need to be living in this time, not waiting for a future thing where we think the whole, all these bad people are going to be destroyed and we're going to then be with Jesus. We're with Jesus right now. It's an event that took place. It's not an event we should be waiting for. Too many Christians are waiting for the future. Why are we waiting? We're living in the kingdom of heaven right now. Walking in the grace and the power of Jesus, which he has already given to the church. Secondly, the old covenant has passed. It's fulfilled. Jesus has done away with the law. Not that the law doesn't exist, but it's within us. Psalm 111. 119, I can't remember. That's my memory verse I was going to come up with. And I can't remember it. <laughs> it's a sign of age. 119 verse 11, yeah. I've hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. See, it's in our hearts. 
It's a completely different concept to teaching people what is right and what is wrong. It's actually about seeing it envelop, develop in our hearts. It's about having it wrap its arms around us, the grace of Jesus Christ wrapping his arms around us, rather than saying this is right, this is wrong. It's about allowing the power of Jesus to transform our lives from the inside out. We should be introducing people to Christ and the transforming power of his Holy Spirit. And because we live in Christ, that power is at work in our lives, transforming us day to day as we allow his living word to be our daily bread, as we allow his living word to dwell in us, then we can't help but go, and if you like the word law, if you like it, we can't help but go and live the law because it's living in us. There's a marked difference between teaching someone to do right and wrong and than to introducing them to the transforming power of Christ and allowing him to transform our lives so that, as I said, we live out the law. Thirdly, this is all about Jesus. He is the culmination of all things. That Bible that we read from start to finish is all about God's plan for humanity. It's all about Jesus. In Jesus, we see God in human form. In Jesus, we see God in all his beauty. You know, someone once told me that if you want to see the character of God and know what God is all about, then go and just read the Gospels. And I'm not saying we ignore the rest of the Word, absolutely not, because all Word is inspiring, it's there for our teaching, it's there for our growth. But if you want to know the character of our God, just go and read the Gospels. And in fact, go and read the words that Jesus said. We see God in his entirety through Jesus Christ. Full of grace. Christ is about restoring our lives to where they were first intended to be. Our lives being restored in relationship with our Heavenly Father. Our lives becoming his children, where he first intended us to be. Said it before and I'll say it again. God's purpose for creating the human race was that we might have relationship with him. That he could come and walk in the garden. He could come and take our hand. That's where he wants us to be as his children. Suffer the little children to come to me. He just wants you to be his daughter or his son. It's all about him. And in turn, us then bringing transformation and restoration to the world in which we live. Not by telling people what is right and wrong, 
but by introducing them to Jesus Christ, the one who was, who is, and is to come. By introducing to him to them to him, his transforming power, his grace, his mercy, his blood that was shed on the cross for you and I. Introduce them to Jesus and watch the transformation take place. There was a lot to go through and to take in there, and I appreciate that. I just wanted to get to the end of a certain point by next week. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, yeah, can we just pray? I just really like to pray. Thank you, Father, that because of Jesus, we can now live with the bondages of the law, the bondages of right and wrong, broken, because your spirit transforms from within, not from without. Your Holy Spirit can take a hold of our lives and transform them from inside out. Father, I pray today for anyone here this morning that is still struggling with doing right or wrong, still struggling with things in their lives. And instead of bringing them to the cross, they're working harder and harder at trying to overcome. I pray today, right now, you will break the bondage, that you will break the chains, and that you would set them free in Jesus' name. Set them free from this struggle internally of doing right and wrong. And by your Holy Spirit, come now and transform their lives and begin that work of powerful transformation that brings them from death into life. It's no longer a struggle over right and wrong. It's a struggle of it's a, it's a being set free in your spirit to be all we were intended to be in the first place. And just allowing your Holy Spirit the freedom to move and work in our lives. So Father, I pray that today would be a day of change. Today would be a day when the internal struggle was broken and your Holy Spirit would come and set us free. May the chains of the past and the bondages of the past be broken in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.